0: Thanks, Natalie. You are the first one. Appreciate that. That hospitality is working its work. <laughs> uh, that's right. If you don't get invited to someone's house today, you need to thump somebody with the Bible. Did you read? The, you read? <laughs> Not really. We don't play like that. Carry a big Bible. No. Uh, so good to see you all on this summer Sunday. Um, Summer is awesome. I love summer, but uh, in Michigan, it can be, you know, you never know what you're going to get, not just weather-wise, but on a Sunday morning, because people come and go like the rain around here, and that's fine. I'm not mad about it, but I just want to point it out and say that we're not taking a back seat on Sunday mornings. We're going to continue to dive into the Word of God. It's going to be awesome, and I love summer. I mean, if you don't I'd rather it be hot any day of the year. I'm a southern boy at heart, born in Louisiana, raised in Oklahoma. Give me summer all day. Uh, I spent most of my adult life in Michigan, but, you know, my my wife will, anytime I do something weird, she's like, is that a southern thing? So anything I do that you think is peculiar, just chalk it up to being from the south. Anyways, we're going to be in the Word today. Uh, if you want to open up, we're going to get to it, I promise. Um, Matthew chapter 25. I'm super, um, super excited about what we'll be getting into today. I think it's essentially important. Um, so if you have a Bible or a device, you can open that up just so you're ready. But before we go there, I did feel like it was... Huh, important to, to comment on some recent events in our nation. Um, as you hopefully know, um, this week the Supreme Court overturned the ruling in Roe versus Wade, um, which is, I believe, a triumphant answer to God's people praying. I believe it was um, a righteous decision made by the Supreme Court, um, because I don't believe our federal government should be in the business of endorsing the shedding of innocent blood. Um, now, there's a lot more to all of that, um, and the response, if you're listening at all, is, is varied and across the board, um, and and I could go on for a long time on this, and I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to start a debate. I might be happy to talk with anyone about it later, but this church has stood since long before I was here for the life of the unborn in a God bless it. God bless it. And as this, again, as I said, was a righteous decision made, I want to remind us, because it's not the end of the story by any means, um, that what I see in Jesus' heart and life as the fullness of being pro-life. Can we take a minute and talk about that? Um, Jesus is life, right? That's what he says. And so no one's more concerned about that than him. And he said, I've come to give life to the full, right? It is Jesus's desire to be good to all human. Every human soul matters to him. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he doesn't require anyone to bow the knee to him for him to be good to them. You know, he even said, the, I call it the, God causes the rain to fall on the just on the unjust." He's good to the bad. Just, it's just who he is. And um, just as there's so much rhetoric flying around, first of all, I would just encourage you to be wise and sometimes keep your mouth shut and listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, just to give some centering thoughts for us as, as people who love Jesus and love life, I don't actually believe that anyone's truly pro-death except the devil. Um, there's a lot of confusing and misinformed narratives out there filled with lies and half-truths and accusations about people on both sides. That, that's, thats I'm pretty sure it's true. And let's just remind ourselves as wise human beings that the minute we make broad-stroke generalizations about any group of people, we have missed it. Um, Because we miss real people, real live people in, in those groups, you know, who have real hearts and valid concerns and reasons. And Jesus is about people and souls and the hearts of men and women. So we don't want to get into that business. We want to be in the business of Jesus who loved life. And so to be truly a pro-life people, we must love all of life, Um, whether they're unborn, pre-born, or born, whether they are following Jesus or not, whether they ascribe to your political preference or not, whether they share your skin color or not, whether they have the same economic status as you, if they're drug addicts or abusers. We could go on and on and on. We're called to love life of every human soul regardless. Does this make sense? Think of the life of Jesus and how he dealt with different kinds of people. I think of Zacchaeus, who'd done much wicked against his own people, Hiding up in a tree, has no friends. (laughs) Zacchaeus calls him out, the one they all hated, and went to his house for dinner. He loved that life. I think of the Roman centurion who had probably been party to many treacherous and evil acts, including who knows how many numbers of crucifixions. But when he ran to Jesus in desperation for the healing of his daughter... Jesus healed his daughter because Jesus loves life. And he's not a respecter of persons. Whether they that person is forgotten and hard to like, we need to be for that life. You know, I think of you know, the let's let's bring it home like current day. We see the life of Jesus, apply it to today. Of course, we want to it's an important fight that we have prayed and many have prayed for those that don't have a voice those in the womb but what about the many whose voices we still don't hear think of the the gay teenager who's suicidal because they think god hates them and because they think the church hates them you know what jesus wants that young man to live he he is pro that life (laughs) For the, the older person in a nursing home, again, who thinks they have lost purpose and nobody comes to visit them and they should just die. You know what? Jesus is pro that life. This is the, the fullness of the message. This is the fullness of the issue. And we could go on and on and on. But let's be mindful of we're not just here for politics or issues. That We're, we're here because of Jesus. In his message, God so loved the world. And that wasn't a sweeping generalization to him. It was all the human souls on the face of the planet, forever and ever, amen, that he loved. So he gave life. He gave himself. Amen? So we as God's people are called to the same life, to love life, to love people regardless, to, to love the life of human souls around us enough to be like jesus and say what can i give to promote the life of every human soul because we have received freely 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 we have received from god and will continue to receive every moment that we live therefore jesus says freely give freely give freely give freely give if now, this is starting to sound like Kirby's, Kirby's message. If this, no, no ifs. No ands, no buts. We freely give because we've freely received. I believe what we've seen is God, a God who answers prayer, and it should encourage us. And, and that He is the God who will continue to answer prayers. That's not the only prayer that God's people have been praying for decades. There are prayers for justice, for race relations. There's prayers for all these things. And we should be encouraged that God hears, that God answers, and we will see the answers to the prayers that have been prayed because God is just. And when we ask according to his will, it's done. We see, we have a glaring, wide, proud, loud answer from heaven that says, see, I told you. I hear you. I answer, and we should rejoice. Um, but we want to walk this out so well as the people of God in this season. Amen? Would you take, before we jump into the word, just a moment and let's pray and let's thank the Lord. Let's ask Him to continue to help us. Would you pray with me? Father, today we thank you. We praise you for being the God of all compassion the lover of every human soul. We thank you for being the God who answers prayer and that righteousness and justice are foundational to your leadership. And as we've prayed, as many have prayed again and again for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our nation and in our lives, God, we ask you again and again, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our nation and in our lives. God, let your righteousness, peace, and joy invade every segment and every sector of our society. And would you truly make us a people, starting with your church, who love life. Who love life of every size and every stature, every position, every color. God, that we would love life and that for the sake of love, loving life, we would give of ourselves. Turn our hearts to be just like yours, Jesus, and let us continue to see the answer to your people's prayers. You are so good. You are so good. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. All right. Thanks for letting me share that. It's good for us, isn't it? All right. So we are in our series on the coming of the Son of Man. And if you've been watching other headlines lately, and inflation, all these things, you may think Jesus is coming tomorrow. So I'll tell you this. His coming is nearer now than it's ever been before. Always a true statement. Always true the day he left. But... What Jesus is laying out in Matthew 24 and 25, which we've been looking at, is what we should be looking for and what's coming in as we enter into John, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 25, is the answer to the question of how shall we then live? If we believe his coming is very soon. And he's already in these these last this last chapter encouraged us to see. Wait expectantly, be urgently expecting that that we will see him. And that was instruction to his believers 2,000 years ago, how much more to us today. To be urgently expectant, waiting and watching and praying, and to not be afraid. If I could sum up the last chapter, it was all of that. And Jesus has been painting the scenario of what it would look like before he comes. Um, Wars, rumors of wars, all the things. And he even gives us, by way of review. I'm just going to share these with you because you should know these. The signs that point to his return, there are specific signs, almost requirements he has put upon it for himself before he will return to answer the question of, will he come today? We need to be able to look, has he fulfilled, have the signs he prophesied come to pass? And two that we've looked at already, uh, three if you count one that's sort of implied, is the gospel being preached to all nations And then the end will come, come, he says. Has not yet quite been fulfilled, depending on your metric, but may possibly be fulfilled in the next decade. That's awesome. And then the revealing of the Antichrist. And I'm pretty sure Jesus makes it clear it will be obvious when that happens that that hasn't happened yet. Now, by inference to many of the things Jesus said, one of the signs that has been fulfilled is the statehood of Israel, which was not true for many, many hundreds of years. And so we have some signs that are close, some that are fulfilled, and others that are not yet. So we're clearly on the way. And Jesus' words were, when you see all these things in one generation, then you're there. Now, some could make a case for some of, these, some of these signs that he's talked about being fulfilled in the year 70 AD, but not all of them, and not in one generation. So here we are. It's a, it's, it's a, a watchful Season to be aware of what Jesus is doing and to know what He has said, know what He has taught us, to be aware of the and expectant and wanting the coming of the Son of Man. The, Jesus, it, the Word of God calls it our blessed hope. It is our greatest hope: is that He will come and He will be Lord and He will reign on the earth. Amen. So after he's laid out the scenario, sort of painted the backdrop for us in Matthew chapter 24 of kind of the, the dramatic signs that would be taking place. Then he begins to teach them, I would say, um, the, into the question that, that's not asked, how shall we then live? What is the most important thing, Jesus? If we think this could be the season, if we see the signs beginning to come to pass, if the cultural narrative is starting to look a lot like what you've talked about, how do we live? Do we, do we, do we get lots of, lots of supplies stored up in our basement? Do we, do we do this? Do we take all of our money out of the banks? Do we do this, do we do that? Now, all of those things may or may not be relevant as the Holy Spirit leads you. But Jesus' first instruction to believers is what we're going to read right now in Matthew 25. The most important preparation, the most important commodity that we should be collecting in the hour before Jesus' return is what he talks about here in Matthew chapter 25. And let's, let's just dive, dive in. The, the title of today's message is Wise in Jesus' Eyes. How many of you would like Jesus to look at you and say you were wise? How would you like Jesus to look at you and say you were foolish? It's a big deal. So Jesus in in chapter 25 begins to uh, unfold two parables about the kingdom. Okay, now Jesus loved to teach about the kingdom. You know why? Because he's the king. (laughs) and so when he gives a story an illustration about the kingdom he's telling us what it looks like for us as his people or what it's supposed to look like he's saying now that you're mine if you want me to be the king of your life then the kingdom is your home and this is what it looks like okay preparation over let's jump in matthew chapter 25 starting in verse 1 i'm just reading the first there are two really important parables but only one that we're looking at today. Starting in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, this was commonplace practice in uh, Middle Eastern weddings, just so you know. This wasn't out out of the blue. They would have understood this narrative. Then he goes on to say, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. All right, so just for context, in case you're not familiar, um, these oil lamps you're talking about were like these personal lamps that people would take to light their way in the dark. And they're very small, right? And so you literally would pour oil in there with the wick to keep it lit. You got oil in the lamp, it burns. You don't have oil in the lamp, it doesn't burn. All right, so that, that's what it was. It's common. Everybody, they all had these. They would know exactly what he's talking about, but we're like oil lamp. You know, I most of us have never seen anything like that. We just turn on a light, you know, turn on a flashlight. This, this was their flashlight in the dark. All right, starting in verse six. So at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, "'Give us some of your oil. "'Our lamps are going out.' "'No,' they replied, "'there may not be enough for both me and you. "'Instead, go to those who sell oil "'and buy some for yourselves.'" Verse 10. "'But while they, with the other five, "'were on their way to buy the oil, "'the bridegroom arrived. "'The virgins who were ready "'went in with him to the wedding banquet, "'and the door was shut.'" And verse eleven. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, or some for to say, Lord, Lord. They said, "Open the door for us." But he replied, "Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour." All right, we're gonna stop there. So Jesus tells this parable, this story about the kingdom, because he's the king. And he sets this up like this. The kingdom of God is like this. It's about a wedding. It's a story of love. And it's about the bridegroom who's going to come and those who are anxiously awaiting his return. You get the characters? Jesus and us. And he says this is the most important thing in the hour before he comes. When you're waiting for him to come, this is the most important thing. And he says there will be some who are wise and some who are foolish. And the difference is who had oil. And so the question becomes, then, what is the oil? Well, oil biblically most often represents the presence of God or the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, here I believe what he is referring to, those who have stored up the oil of intimacy, friendship with God. That's the the commodity that they had prioritized and kept. It was wisdom that they, they invested more in their, their intimacy with God than seemed reasonable. All right? So we have ten in the picture. And the ten are all virgins. Ten virgins who took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. So this isn't about believers and unbelievers. This is talking to... The choir, that's talking to us. This is a parable about us. Those who are virgins or those who have set themselves apart said, Jesus, I want to follow you. You've saved my life. You've healed my life. You've redeemed me from the pit. I am yours. I'm going to live for you all my day. They are all waiting for him. They wanted Jesus. So it's not a question of sincerity, it's not a question of desire. They all wanted Jesus. They were all sincere, and yet, due to the way they stewarded their lives before his come, some, Jesus said, were wise, and some, Jesus said, were foolish. And the difference was the oil of intimacy, the oil of friendship with Jesus. Jesus setting this parable up, saying the most important commodity in the hour before I return is your friendship with me. The most important pursuit in this hour is not to have the right political stances. It's to know Jesus in the secret place. And to give yourself in such a way that it's a higher priority than seems reasonable even to other sincere believers. We're not talking about Christians versus We're talking about believers. Those that love the Lord. They long for his return. But some made wise choices with their time, energy, and talent. Others did not. It wasn't about their sincerity. I believe the Lord is highlighting and wants us to uh, get this message, live this lifestyle, even if you've heard it before, a reminder, but maybe a wake-up call to some of us in this hour. Um, it was either this week or last week. I was um, listening to some music at home and just these, some of these songs of devotion that this woman wrote were so touching my heart. I'm like, man, this, this person, this person, it just really sounds like they know you. Like, I love the lyrics to these songs. So I looked her up, and I'm not going to name names because I'm not here to slander folks. But that, I, I was so saddened. Um, and this isn't the first story like this. I think it was like a straw story for me that I've heard too many stories like this now. It was like broke my heart because um, I saw like her latest tweet from like 20 or one of her most recent tweets in the last two years. She said, well, it's fair to tell you all now that I've essentially renounced Christianity. I don't believe in any of that anymore. I believe there's something out there. I don't know what it is. I believe, you know, in sort of a switch from I'm going to follow Jesus to universalism. And, and, and it just broke me because I'm like, how And I don't know if you hear these headlines. I'm probably subscribed to all the wrong emails. Um, But I get these church leader emails daily. And and I probably read them too often. I'm just being honest. And and every day, almost every week, is a new story of another fallen leader. Another serious pastor or worship leader who's done the same. Like, it's becoming an all-too-common narrative. This person who so many looked up to and how was so influential with their preaching or their or with their worship ministry, suddenly, like, they're not following Jesus anymore. And I'm like, what in the world is happening here? What, what has happened here? And I really think, as I, as I thought into it, and as I've been mulling it for probably a couple of years now, seeing the stories over and over and over again, is that, for better or for worse, probably unmeaning to us is that in our Western Christian culture, we've set up a system that prioritizes kind of big stage Christianity, that prioritizes talent and charisma and puts those people on the stage and God will use them. But what happens is someone who has a lot of gifting, whether it's charisma or public speaking or musical talent, though they've probably started sincere, after a while, and I know this temptation is real, after a while they, they realize that they can, be, they can do their gift and move masses and see people respond without actually tapping into Jesus, Because we prioritize the big stage, we prioritize the gifting, we prioritize um, what seems big and powerful and flashy, but it can become so easily performative. It's external, and though it may move hearts, it has no substance on the other side. And how, if you were in this situation week after week and month after month after year after year and you're so busy you just don't even have time to talk to Jesus, but you know when you get up this and you sing your songs, people are still weeping, you could come under the idea that it's still working. I'm successful, it's working, but how easy then is it to get deluded in your own heart and say, well if all it takes is for me to sing it a certain way or to preach it a certain way, then is this God thing really real? How long does it take to get there? Yeah. About that long. How, how do you get to a place where you've got a platform and thousands follow you and you have a mega church and you're a celebrity pastor and, and one day it gets uncovered like you've been in all these adulterous affairs? It's because it became performative and there's brokenness and hurt and pain, I'm sure. There's a whole story. There's a whole person there that's valuable whose life we love, but how do we get there? How do you come to a place where you think you're unaccountable, where where God will still use me and my ministry is still valid? It's because you've become performative, but you've no oil in the tank. And you think, well, I have a light, I have a flame, and everybody can see my flame. And Jesus says, you are a fool. I believe this is what we're seeing exposed. I think it's, it's the mercy and the goodness of God. And I think it's a check to all of our hearts about what we value in what church and Christianity look like. Jesus isn't impressed with this. He's not, and this is a small little church, right? But he's not impressed with the person in front. He, I, I don't fool him when I stand up here. Nobody does, no matter how talented they are. And by the way, worship team, you guys are amazing. Um, Jesus sees the heart. Like, you could be amazing musicians and be empty. I don't believe that about this crowd. But the people on the stage don't impress Jesus. It's the condition of the heart. It's the way they steward their secret place in Jesus that determines whether they're wise or if they're foolish. And at the end of the day, whether we see it or not, he'll show us all. And again, it's mercy right now that these things are happening and being revealed because on that day, I don't know how God's mercy works on that day. I believe it's possible any and all could repent the moment he he arrives and still be in heaven. But I think there would be deep, deep, deep regret. And I don't know about you, the one thing in my life that I wish I could get rid of that I can't is regret Mm -hmm. for past decisions and mistakes that I've made. Um, And I don't want to carry that into heaven I don't want you to carry that into heaven, you know. I I, I hope you guys are okay. This is really a simple message. Yes. It's really simple, but I wanna I wanna drive the point home. You know, like when I was in um, college, it was such a, a formative time of my life spiritually. Um, the campus ministry that that we were a part of really experienced to move of the Holy Spirit. And for those of you that may be aware of you know late 90s there was the Pensacola outpouring the Father's love outpouring in Toronto and all of that was happening and so something just kind of like visited our campus ministry and it was awesome like again it was life changing formative for me honestly and I mean I remember I-, I could tell stories of amazing things God's did people that came to the Lord like I, I don't know if I want to take the time on the stories but I mean, this girl from Livonia singing in the spirit an Indonesian folk song, like, for this girl, it was wild. I mean, it's real. When God moves, it's real, and no one can deny it. Um, I just remember in those days waking up and, and, like, going outside, and it was like the world was in a new high definition, like, God's presence was so real everywhere. And um, again, we saw amazing things. We saw crazy things. But I, I believe for those of us who were in that experience, and I was like, God was undeniable to us in that season. Saw lives change. My life was transformed. Again, I could tell stories, but I'm looking at the clock like maybe not today. Um, the reason I share that is because now 20 years later, um, you know, it's amazing to me that many of those friends that experienced the powerful manifestation of God in that time are cold and distant from him today. And here's the thing. You ask the question, well, how? How could that happen? Like, you experienced the presence of God. It was undeniable. It was so real. Again, I, I wish I could tell you the stories. Um, well, I think of it like this. Like, if we were under a waterfall... You know, we all got really wet. But you can stand, if you're thirsty and you stand under a waterfall, but you learn, don't learn how to take a drink, you're still going to be thirsty. Uh, put it in more biblical terms. If we don't learn to drink for ourselves from the living well, we could be standing right next to it and still die. And I believe that's what happened for some. And it breaks my heart, like, and God's not done with them. But they stood in the waterfall. They experienced the manifestation of God, the presence of God. But at the end of the day, did they learn to drink for themselves from the well of living water? Did they learn how to gather for themselves oil so that when they weren't next to the waterfall, they were still alive? They were still burning. You know, um, I love the moves of God and I love what Tom shared today. And I believe God has all of that for us and more. So I'm not making a case against I'm just saying at the end of the day, revivals can come and revivals can go. They do not determine whether we are alive in Jesus or not. And you can have 10,000 people in an arena or 30 of us in this room today. That doesn't determine how much Jesus is in the room. It doesn't determine how much our hearts are alive. We could be having more revival right now than the megachurch downstate. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, like Jesus gets to say. Because the externals are so easily fooling us sometimes. Um, and I just want to talk about that too for a second. This is so crucial what Jesus is teaching here. Like, um, I think Christians sometimes use really poor lingo to describe their, their experience. And, and if this is you, I'm not, well, take whatever the Holy Spirit wants to give you. Um, <laughs> but I hear people say stuff like, oh, I'm just in a really dry season right now. Now, my first question, not to be like rude or provocative, would be, do you have Jesus? He never runs dry. He is a living well of water that overflows at all times. You may live in a dry land. It may be surrounded by you know, what looks like the lack of the presence of God, but if you truly know Jesus, you have a fountain inside. In the Bible, Psalm 84 actually says that the people of God make the desert places a place of springs. So you may be in the driest land of all, you should not be dry. You don't have to be dry. You're supposed to bring the water. You, you bring the Jesus to the scenario. And so I always wonder how people feel like they get in a dry season. I say, well, have you talked to Jesus lately? Because he's not dry. He didn't run out. He can't. He won't. And never, neither should you. God can make water for, come from rocks. Your, your heart could be hard as a rock, but Jesus could still let his water flow. You know what I'm saying? There's never an excuse for someone who's a believer in Jesus to feel that they are dry. If they are, it's because they've disconnected themselves from the source of living water. In fact, the dry places are God's favorite places to show up. You know, we, we talk about, you know, persecution in other countries. Do you know where the greatest revivals are having happening? Persecution in third world countries. You know, place where they're trying to squeeze the church and persecute the gospel. It's like God's like, oh, yeah, let me show you what I can do. Like, that's where the, the tens of thousands are, are coming to Jesus daily, or in the Muslim portions of Africa. They're in the communist portions of Asia. You can't stop the flow of God's living water when it's flowing. It's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Somebody wrote a good song about that. At the end of the day, Matthew 25 should instruct us that your external circumstances don't get to dictate your internal reality with God. Don't blame your nearness to Jesus on who's persecuting you or how bad things are at work. If you have Jesus, you have Jesus. If you choose to be wise, you'll be wise. If you choose to be foolish, you'll be empty of oil but our, our external circumstances don't take and this is so important for us because so many times we think well if this was different if that thing was better you know if if the music was just right and, and more people showed up on sunday morning then you know then then we you know then whatever and jesus says really like really really you're going to let those external things determine what's really going on with you and me you're going to really let that that be your your barometer your thermometer of the presence of god so i don't think jesus saw it that way i don't think jesus lived that way matthew 25 tells us that the end of age the end of the age will be centered around a bridegroom him and a people who are radically committed to him in love radically committed to him in the secret place Making a priority of him above all other things. Everyone has a lamp. Jesus doesn't make a distinction here about the leaders or non-leaders. Did you notice? He said, well, there's going to come a time. And there's going to be lots of sincere people waiting for me. But here's the difference between those who are wise and ready and those who are foolish and not ready. He makes it so simple. But I just want to point out, it it comes down to you and me. You and me. You get to decide how you're going to steward your time. And if you're going to make a priority of intimacy in the secret place with God, it's really so simple. What sets the wise apart from the foolish is this commitment to the private pursuit of knowing him above all other things. And, And that's something that no one may ever know. In fact, I think it's best if no one ever knows. I believe that the stores of oil see a lamp has a light that everyone can see and the the foolish said well I got a light I got a lamp I'm gonna be good but then the story goes that the bridegroom was a long time coming and so the darkness that surrounded them because it was nighttime was so long that they all fell asleep so the time of darkness that came took longer than any of them expected you know the foolish thought they're good. Well, I got a lamp, I got a light. I'm good. I'm ready for the bridegroom. Let's go. He said, but actually the wise ones are the ones that before the long night came, before the darkness was covering the earth for a long time, and it seemed like is Jesus ever gonna kind of come back? Before it even got to that place, the wise were in the secret place collecting oil. When things seem to be okay, when all of us still have lamps, I got a good ministry. I'm following Jesus. People see my light. I shine at work. The wise ones were like, I know i got a light, but I need oil too. I need a store of oil. I need a store of oil that will take me through a time of darkness that's longer than I would like it to be. That's how much oil I need to store up. And I believe it's so simple. I think the storage of, of the oil of intimacy, the collecting, the curating of that is simply the times and the secrets that we have with Jesus. Times where we talk to him and he spoke to us that no one else has to know about. Times when we're in the word and his word strikes our heart and it changes us. It's not a message we get to go preach. It's it's we store it in our heart like Mary stored it up in her own heart. She treasured these things. To me, I believe that's what the oil is. It's your secret history in God. It's not what you put on your social media profile. It's not what you gab about a small group with your friends. It's your secret history history in God. It's stored up. Only you and him know about it. And the temptation so many times is when we do encounter Jesus in the secret place, we like, we're going to go tell everybody. We're going to talk about it. I got such a good revelation. And sometimes I think that's so dangerous because it's like taking your stored oil and pouring it out. And Then you don't have it anymore. I think we need to be jealous for our secret history in God to carry us through dark night seasons that may be longer than we expect them to be. Even though we may fall asleep, we're still carrying something that will sustain us. We're still carrying something that keeps us alive. Something that it may not be external. You may not be impressive to anyone on the outside. Nobody may look to you and say, you're such a paragon of godliness, but God looks and says, oh, I know. They might not be the loudest person in the room, but they've got oil. They may not seem like the most influential person in the society, but they got oil. And I tell you this, when the dark night comes, before Jesus comes, it will be clear to us, not who's performative, but who has oil. Because those who have gathered wisely and obeyed the word of Jesus to seek him in the secret place, again, I believe it means in a way that seems unreasonable to us. In the present moment. Do you really need to prioritize Jesus? Do you really need to set aside that? Because t- re- like it's so easy and common in our Western Christianity to be like, j- I just need enough to get me through today. I just need the, the manna for today. And that's, that's Bible. You can have manna for today, but you need oil too. You, you need oil for the dark, the dark night to come. More than seems reasonable. Now, before you think, I don't know that I have like long hours to spend with jesus now some people do you may be in a season of life where god has granted you grace and time and whatever where you have lots of time that you can give to jesus and some of us you know you're young parents you're trying to work a job you're trying to raise your kids you're like i don't have long hours give jesus what you have it all counts the moments before the kids wake up, the moments when you're driving in your car, the moments when you're washing dishes, the moments when you're on your way to work, you can talk to him. You can listen to him. You can fellowship with him, and all of it counts. All of it's oil. But it's a, it's a, it's a matter of the intentionality of it. Do we get satisfied with the fact, well, I'm shining. I still love Jesus. I'm still living for the Lord. That's good. That's good. That won't carry you through a dark night. It's do you know him in the secret place? Did you cultivate it? Did you put yourself in the place of knowing him? Did you move other priorities aside so that you could be with him? Because Jesus says that's the most wise thing you can do. And like I said, God, by the Holy Spirit, may convict you to do other things in the days we're living. That's fine. They're all secondary. Primary? Get oil. You think Jesus might become as soon. Get oil. Get alone with God. Get a secret history in God. You don't have it start today. Get oil. Get to know Him in the secret place. Let him speak to you. Let His word come alive to you. Now, it has to be driven, though, by this, this story narrative, is that there were set aside virgins, consecrated ones who loved the bridegroom. I'm not here to promote dry discipline driven by religious duty, that will not get you oil. What gets you oil is desire for him. When he's what you all you really want, when you know he's the answer for the situation, when you know he's the the most important thing, your desire will drive you to the secret place. Don't let religious duty do it. If, If it's religious duty driving you, you're not getting oil. You're getting a hard heart at the end of the day. Let desire drive you. You're like, I don't know if I have desire. Ask God, and he'll help you want to want to desire him. Let him take you on the journey. Because, and, and how important is this? It's this important. It's wise and foolish. It's when the bridegroom returned, there were some who were ready and some who weren't. And Jesus wants us ready. He calls this wisdom. Uh, There is nothing more important in this hour than cultivating intimacy and friendship with Jesus because he is coming and he will return. And when he comes, according to the parable, there is to be a company of burning ones who are ready, who've been waiting who were wise in the hour before. It seemed like it made sense. They were wise, and there's a company of burning ones. And it's not just about our devotion to Jesus. It's because in the hour when thick darkness covers the whole earth, light will be needed. Because there will be people covered in darkness, and when they realize the darkness that they're in, they'll be looking for light. And who will have light? Those who have stored oil. I want to bring it to a close with this passage that that brings that to make sense. Isaiah chapter 60. You may know this passage. It's a good one. It's awesome. Put it in context to the Matthew 25 narrative. The prophet says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And... The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Now, I don't want to take a long time and unpack this, but let's get on the same page just a little bit. The light, Jesus, right? So the light has come. John chapter 1. The light came into the world. Jesus has come. So this was a prophecy when Isaiah spoke it. It became reality when Jesus came on the planet. Okay, Arise, shine, light has come, and the glory of the Lord. Of the Lord rises on you. And I would say, you could make a case, that's the Holy Spirit outpouring, came in Acts 2. The glory of the Lord has come upon the peoples of the earth. The oil has come. All right, next verses. See, now he's prophesying for a day ahead. Darkness covers the earth. A thick darkness is over all the peoples. You could say that's even true now. But the Lord arises upon you and his glory appears over you. Verse three nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This is an incredible promise for those that live in the days after Jesus has come and before he returns. That after he comes, darkness, sin is going to come to full fruition in the earth. It's happening right among us right now. But in the midst of deep darkness, there will be a people who still burn. And when there are people burning with love for Jesus who've stored the oil up until the day he returns, the darker it gets, they're still burning. That's what nations will see. So we want to be ready because we love Jesus, but we want to be prepared because the earth needs burning ones in the hour before he returns. The nations are to come to his light. That's you and me. But if we're not ready for the long night, if we're not ready for darkness that seems longer and deeper than we like, we won't be burning for the nations to come to. We won't have a lamp lit for the greatest harvest the world has ever seen. There need to be burning ones to say, Jesus, I love you today before it seems urgent. Because there's going to be a day when it's urgent not for me, but the whole world will be lost in darkness and looking for light, and I want to be a burning one. I want to be a wise one. I'm going to be ready for you, but I want the world to have the opportunity to come with me. (laughs) I want those in darkness today to have an, an opportunity to come with me. Don't you think that's real? Don't you think that's the Isaiah 60 promise? Why else do they need the light to burn? What else is he prophesying here in deep darkness that people will have a light? It's because somebody had the wisdom to gather oil before the darkest night. Amen? It's got to be about more for us than what benefits us in this moment, more than seems reasonable to the outside world looking in. Jesus isn't looking for us to serve him. He wants us to be his friends. He doesn't need another celebrity leader. He's calling and raising up friends. Friends of God, friends of the bridegroom, will we say yes to him? You know, one last thought on this because we are wrapping up. I I would say unapologetically that I believe Jesus would say this is, in the hour before he returns, this is the most important thing. And some would say, well, what about sharing the gospel? What about evangelism? That is very important, but you know what? True friends of Jesus who love Jesus with all their heart, you can't stop them from talking about him. People who have cultivated secret place with him, it just flows out of them. You don't have to be like, you should tell somebody about Jesus. They can't stop telling people about Jesus. If we get this, we'll get the rest. We won't have to guilt people into telling their friends about Jesus because they'll be so in love. They'll be so in tune They'll be aware to the the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Let's be a people that cultivate intimacy. Let's be a people that value the secret place that no one else sees and understand we're all called into it. You could be the youngest person in the room or the oldest person in the room, the busiest or the most retired. We're all called to friendship with Jesus. We're all called to the secret place, and it is the sweetest place. Is the most satisfying place. Jesus is calling us to this wisdom because we love him. Let's stand together as we close up. We have a king who's building a kingdom and he's coming. We want him, don't we? We love him. So we watch. We pray, we gather oil, because we'll be ready. And we're going to arise, and we're going to shine, and His glory will be seen. His glory will be seen. It will be seen in us, it will be upon us, and we'll be a people ready for our King. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's pray. I'm going to give it a chance to respond today as well. Um, But let me pray for us, and Justin lead us in. Um, a song. Actually, the song you guys didn't do would be a great one. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we bless you. Thank you that you're stirring in our hearts even now to be a people after your heart. But I thank you that there is hunger stirring in the hearts of people in this room right now, and it's the fruit of your Holy Spirit. We didn't create this hunger. You put this hunger in us, God. There's conviction even now and it's because you're wooing us to your side you're drawing us close to you you're making us lovers of the bridegroom those committed to the king of kings you're calling us to set aside secondary pursuits to forsake all others and cling only to you Jesus if you're willing and, and you want to respond we just lay your hand in your heart right here hmm Jesus, we want to be all about you. We want to give ourselves to you in the ways that you call wise and the world may deem foolish. We want to be those who are not just burning on the inside, outside, but alive on the inside. Those who have loved you when no one else is looking. We want to be the one. And maybe you're here and you're like, I feel so far away from God. I feel so distant. I think I'm the one who said I'm in a dry place. And the Lord says, don't wait any longer. The Lord right now is calling you back to him. He said, I didn't put any distance between us. I haven't put a barrier between us. Come back to me. Talk to me. Engage with me right now, says the Lord. If that's you, would you just open your heart again? Let water flow from the rock to you today. Let water flow from the rock of Christ Jesus onto your heart today. If you felt distant, if you felt dry, I believe that river is flowing to you right now, right now, right now. And the Lord wants to speak to some of us about uh, rearranging our priorities. Can we just stay here for a minute? We're just going to pray for a minute. We're about rearranging our priorities. About setting the second things in second place and putting him in first place. Would you just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything that I placed in first place ahead of knowing you? ahead of pursuing you, ahead of making you my greatest treasure. I want to know you, Jesus. If that's me, Lord, I repent. God, would you show me so I can repent and turn again to the fountain, the fountain of living water. I'm just going to give you a minute right now and just to talk to the Lord. Would you just talk to the Lord right where you are? Jesus, I want to love you. I want to love you. I want to know you. I want to be a friend in this hour. Mm, Yes, Jesus.
1: Your heart.
0: I want to be wise,
1: it's Jesus. So, all I want to do, I just want to stand in awe.
0: Give ourselves to pour you.
1: Pour my love on you, no matter how much the cost. I freely give it all to you. Let's sing this together all as, to as a prayer,
0: as a commitment to Him today
1: i just wanna move
0: your
1: heart get caught within your gaze right here in your presence god is where i wanna stay or just to dwell in your house waste my hours and my days on you oh just want to Tell
0: him, tell him right to his face. Right. all I want to do, I, I just want to
1: stand in awe 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 and pour my love awe on awe you, awe no matter awe how, awe how, awe how awe much awe the, the cost, I freely just want to move your, your heart.
0: Catch us up.
1: I call within your gaze right here in your presence, God. It's where I want to stay, or just to dwell in your house. Waste my hours and my days on you. On oh, you. Is it a fragrance? Is it a fragrance Here we are, Lord I'll pour my oil out Is it a life laid down? Here I am, Lord then Here I give my vows Is it a song I sing Here's every melody Tell me
0: what moves you Tell me what moves you Whatever you want, Lord
1: is it a fragrance And I'll pour my oil out Is it a life laid down Then here I give my vow Is it a song I sing Is there a melody Tell me what moves you Tell me what moves you I just want to move you are. So, all I want to do, I just want to stand in awe and pour my love on you, no matter how much the cost.
0: Caught within your gaze, right here in your presence.
1: God is where I want to stay, oh, just to dwell in your house. Waste my hours and my days on you.
0: going to sing this again in a minute, but I want to give a chance to respond. I believe God wants to release grace on hearts today, and you're stirring with hunger. You're saying, I want to say yes to this. I don't know how, but I tell you today, we cannot give you oil, but the Lord can ignite something in you today. I believe he wants to release grace upon hearts, and if that's your desire, and you just want some people to pray with you, would you just come on up to the front and face me as we sing this? altogether. Don't be shy. Don't be ashamed. Just let the Lord meet you with grace in your heart today. Anyone who wants to respond. And then the elders, maybe members of the prayer team, come lay your hands on these ones. Let's sing this through one more time as we respond. God's going to release grace, grace, grace upon our hearts today. Grace, grace, grace upon hearts.